0: What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Grant Feek. Grant is the founder and CEO of Tread, the most trusted person-to-person online used car marketplace. He founded the company on a simple premise it should be easy for consumers to buy and sell cars. Prior to TREAD, Grant worked in private equity and automotives at Lehman Brothers, Low Enterprises, and BMW. He studied at the University of Southern California and Harvard Business School and was elected to the Young Presidents Organization in 2021. Welcome Grant, so good to see you.
1: Thanks for having me, Sean. nice to see you too.
0: Yeah, thanks for making it happen, I really appreciate it. Um, okay, we're gonna kick it off with a little rapid fire specific to you okay what was your very first car
1: a 93 jeep grand cherokee
0: mine was a grand
1: cherokee also yeah i loved loved that car
0: um i know you travel a ton so is there a bucket list place that you are just dying to go visit hmm or maybe even your favorite place
1: yeah, that I have well, one that I have not yet visited, I would say I'm really interested in, uh, I've never been to the continent of, of Africa, so I would like to go to sub-Saharan Africa and kind of check that off the box. That's probably my, my number one at this point.
0: Yeah, I have that on my list also, and I'm just trying to time it with COVID and like all the crazy travel restrictions, but that does sound incredible. Um, okay, if you could have anyone's superpower, what would it be?
1: <laughs> well, usually it's between visibility and flying and if you say invisibility then you're a little bit uh your motives are questionable if you say flying then i think you're a little more typical um i guess flying that'd be pretty cool
0: yeah i have it in my mind that mine isn't necessarily the feeling of flying but mine is the ability to just lift out and be somewhere else really quickly like if we could just go okay i want to be in africa how cool would that be? Yeah, that yeah be... teleportation. I would just oh, be. Someone yeah.
1: needs to make that happen. <laughs> I don't
0: know how that's gonna? Yeah, Elon Musk will make it happen. Um, <laughs> if you were famous as an author, a rock star, a movie star, an athlete, or just a famous tech CEO, which one would you choose?
1: Hmm. Well, I think fame is a not something I'm interested in. To be totally candid, which maybe is counter counterproductive to my role as a CEO but I always I've always been a believer that I'll take the money plus the anonymity (laughs) yeah well so
0: maybe fame's the wrong word if you could be um if you could excel
1: like
0: beyond like reach the strong the the largest heights in any of those categories
1: I think it'd be fun to be a pro golfer Hmm. because are you uh, good at golf no, pretty bad. I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to spend more time golfing. It's on my list, but yeah, I think being a pro golfer would just be very, uh, a good mix of like competition and excitement, uh, but also like not completely destroying your body. So, yes. and you can do it for for a while, right. You can do it till you're like 50 competitively. Um, so pro golfer has always been kind of a- appealing to me. Um, but yeah, those they all sound really good. It'd be cool to be a rock star. It'd be cool yeah. to be I mean who wouldn't want to be a rock star, right? I mean, yeah. So maybe, maybe a rock for, a star short, for a short good. period. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what what three words would your team use to describe you um,
1: as a leader? Wow. Probably vulnerable would be in there, I hope. Um, pretty, you know, pretty open and honest with the team about problems that I'm having professionally and personally. And that's really, I think, helped keep us close and tightly knit. Um, so it's a vulnerable, um, maybe a little bit, uh, I don't want to say intimidating, but a little bit kind of, I can be kind of scary sometimes, I guess. I think (laughs) I've gotten that feedback that people are sometimes a little bit afraid of asking for things or so, um, which is kind of in, in contrast to the vulnerability piece, but yeah, it is. Um, I think there's a little bit of that maybe, um, and then I would say like probably driven, um, you know, I think they k- kind of have a, re- a reputation of like not allowing the company to fail and, and working really hard and always being, you know, kind of leading by example in terms of the work ethics. So I would say that. Yeah. One, third one.
0: Those are good ones. Like maybe the middle one. I'd be curious. We've got to ask your team after this one.
1: Well, they've told me that they're like such and such doesn't want to talk to you. I'm like, why? Cause they're afraid of you. I'm like, What? what? So you're I, like, but I
0: just shared my most vulnerable, crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Huh. yeah.
0: Okay. So, what have you read, listened to, or watched over the past year that you think you're going to continue to recommend to others? I mean, this past two years has been all about yeah. consumption yeah. of everything.
1: I listen to very few podcasts, unfortunately. I should probably do a better job with I listen to them occasionally when people send them to me, but I really don't regularly listen to any podcasts. I have read probably three books in the past two years, which is um, very sad. Uh, and well,
0: probably, you're working your ass off, you know. Probably, probably a car.
1: dangerous sign. Well, books, like nonfiction books. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of what I'm watching, um, I don't know if anything's relevant to Tread, honestly. It's, uh, well, I just tend to watch things that are fun, like- Yeah,
0: uh, well, no, not relevant to Tread, just you, like yeah. person to well, person. I-
1: so, I'm currently watching. Um, I'm catching up on Ted Lasso and yeah. I'm catching up on uh, Yellowstone. Those are the two. Oh, okay. I'm right now.
0: Yellowstone's gotten some mixed reviews. I kind of lost interest in like the last season, which everybody says is crazy. So, tell me, tell me about you. Like, where are you from? How did you, are you from Seattle? How did you end up here?
1: Uh, I'm from Seattle and oh, okay. ended up, uh, I went to film school at USC. And, uh, and then worked, worked, I I was a, uh, intern at New Line Cinema for three years down there and then had an opportunity to go work for them, making like $30,000 a year being an assistant. And then I also was able to get a job through my cousin at a private equity, real estate private equity company in LA, making like twice that at a college. Hmm. Isn't that so
0: interesting? The whole sliding doors thing. You're like what your life would look like. Yeah you had pursued the whole film industry, it's crazy, sexy, exciting, but so challenging.
1: Yeah. Great. Did you
0: love USC? I almost went there.
1: USC was a blast. I spent my junior year in Italy in, in Milan, but other than that, I was in USC for the whole time and it was just a blast I was in a fraternity and kind of did the whole thing and it was a blast. And I'd almost went to NYU for film school, but I sort of figured, well, I want this stereotypical college experience and USC is yes. definitely that. I, yeah. I, I would tell my UW friends like, it, it, I'd call them in November from the pool or the beach and they'd just get really mad at me. And, of course. And they, of course, came out to visit a lot. I was like, picture UW, now put yes. it in LA. <laughs> that's, that's I was deciding
0: I between USC and UW. And I ended up going to UW. My brother went to USC. And totally, I'd go down. And he was nice. bartending at the 9-0. And he oh, had yeah. the best. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he had the best. I had a good college experience. But I think I would have absolutely loved USC yeah. completely. Yeah. So, so you grew up in Seattle. Tell me a little bit about your childhood. Like what inspired you to pursue film? Like what were you into as a kid?
1: Well, I think so the formative thing that happened to me, I was a third of three brothers and uh, I, I was always kind of the, I don't want to say the perfect child, but I was, I was like, you know, pretty well-rounded, pretty good kid, but I got kicked out of school in eighth grade and I went to Bush, which was a, you know, private school in Madison Valley and um, when I got kicked out, my parents were kind of upper middle class. Um, and I, I grew up in Magnolia. So I was sort of shuttling across town every day to go to to go to Bush. And getting kicked out of that school was was Yeah, uh, no,
0: it's no point now. I went to Lakeside, so I get it. <laughs> yeah.
1: It was the best, it was definitely the best thing that happened to me though, because I was very fortunate uh, through some neighbors got into St. Joe's. And the the headmaster there was a guy named George Hofbauer. And he basically like put me under his thumb and like people were praying on the intercom in the morning and it was like strict. And I just, it was the structure that I just needed as a kid and kind of yeah. wake up call. And-
0: What'd you get kicked out for?
1: I was just a, I was the same, I was 6'1", 190 as an eighth grader. And, you know, just had two older brothers. So it was kind of a know-it-all. And and my, my family life growing up, I mean, I had a great childhood, but there was just a lot of like conflict, like my, brothers and my dad, and it was just a lot of conflict, which I didn't really, re- you know, realize. Yeah.
0: So you were carrying all this anger that you didn't even know you had kind of thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Kind of that. And, and just, uh, and just being a rebellious young kid and and also probably maybe a little bit bored in some of the classes. Um, so all that all kind of mixed together and I was just kind yeah. of in case. And, and then at, um, at St. Joe's it just was, there was a lot of structure. And so the headmaster at the end of that year, he said, okay, well, you know, where do you want to go to high school? And I said, I actually said, lakeside. And he goes, they're not going to touch you. I already talked. <laughs> he goes, where else do you want to go to school? And I go prep. And he goes, oh, I'll get you into prep. But he's like, just remember this, this whole year, um, I've had your nuts in my hand, but now <laughs> but now my nuts are in your hands. So don't screw it up.
0: Oh, jeez, I love this guy. It,
1: it really was like a, a motivator for me to like not let him down. And so I think that's one of the things that drives me is like, I... I I did have a real intense, my parents also got separated right when I got expelled and it just felt like I had let my family down. And and I just, and I guess part of the drive, you know, and I ended up going to Harvard business school after USC. Yeah. Are you still in touch
0: with this guy, by the way? With yeah, the... a little
1: bit, a little bit. Yeah, I I went, I had lunch with them maybe three or four years ago. So yeah. not really, I haven't talked in a lot, Like The
0: but... reason why I ask is because I do find it interesting that people either get motivated by like kind of like the carrot or the stick or kind of this like, I'm going to prove you wrong if somebody yeah. doubted me or to make somebody proud. And I just love hearing the stories of people kind of coming full circle on that. Like here you are, HBS, entrepreneur, mm-hmm. kicking ass. And there's got to be some... Uh, pride in that for people, you know, was, like this headmaster to, to
1: see. It was really interesting to, um, to, to go to HBS and to sort of get to know your first year is with the same 90 kids out of 900 in your class and you get to know them really well and you learn pretty quickly, like, I mean, everyone there for the most part, there's one or two people out of 90 that are just gifted, but the rest really do have to work hard and be smart to get into that school. And motivation isn't always, it doesn't always come from a positive place. You know, a lot of times it's some sort of reconciliation. Or just some
0: chip on your shoulders, some anger. Yeah, uh, I hear it all the time. And I'm always super fascinated by it. Or that there's just this expectation. Like you said, you were kind of the good kid that your parents had an expectation. Like, well, Grant's going to definitely. And so it's like, that's how you see yourself. It was like, maybe just a little a little hiccup, you know, yeah. that, eight, that eighth grade or ninth grade year, totally yeah. makes sense. So do you have memories of feeling like a leader? Or I guess when in your life, did you first realize that you had leadership skills?
1: Well, I, I always, I think I sort of realized it in a negative way, because back in grade school, when there would be six of us doing something, I was always the one that got caught. And <laughs> so at least the percent, like the external perception was, okay, this is Grant's fault because he's, he's clearly the one. And maybe it was true. I don't know, but it didn't feel true when there were six people doing something. Right, got, you,
0: influ- you were the most influential, maybe.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe. So I think that was maybe, from, and I always knew that like, I would always, like teachers always tell me, be careful your voice carries, you know, like there were things that I was told, like to basically like tone it down, chill out. Um, and I, I do think at some point there between like grade school, middle school, and then high school, you know, you start playing sports and, 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 um, you, you sort of start getting this, you start comparing yourself, I think inevitably, you know, academically to others and, and in other ways. And, and so I think, yeah, so at some point, probably grade school is when I first sort of realized that, um, that, you know, I was, I had some leadership ability and then yeah. I, I also would say in college, I, um. We we did this thing where we were there was an eighth grade uh, school east in East LA about an, a mile east of USC, and some friends and I would go and we would work with the kids at and we created our own after school program we would do weekly with these kids and I just realized it was like the way that you stand the way that you you're waiting just carry yourself the, yeah the way that you speak like these kids and these eighth grade kids looking at USC college kids they, I mean, you, you have to be extremely careful. And I real, and then I started to notice that in my working, when I worked at the private equity firm in LA, there was a guy named Bob Lowe, who was the head of the company. And the way he would like take his watch off at a meeting and like place it on the table and he'd get behind his chair and, you know, he, the way he would position himself throughout the meeting um, was emulated by all the other leaders of the company. And so it definitely him, You have to be like the way that, so as a CEO, you just have to be so conscious. I mean, the, the company really is, the DNA of the company becomes your DNA. And, or maybe I have that- the other and vice versa, yeah. Around. And so you just have to be really conscious of how are you, I mean- How are you showing up, yeah. I'm increasingly of the mind that like, the success of or failure of a company, it all comes down to like, do your employees feel like empowered and valued and respected yeah. and- and it's funny because in grad school we all rolled our eyes when it was time for these soft skills classes, and we wanted to focus on finance and accounting. And but really, the soft skills stuff is what makes or breaks a company. And it, when you're scaling, oh yeah, yeah,
0: so. it's it's always all about the people. And people put so much investment into all these other areas of the business. And it's like at the end of the day, the smartest CEOs realize it's like you're. Your people are your biggest asset so that makes sense so would you I mean obviously many people I've had on the podcast have gotten an MBA Uh, the net net takeaway is I think most people say it's great for the network if it's a school like you know HBS obviously if it's some random uh, school where you're going back to get a master's in business like not necessary Um, what's your advice as far as you know some 18 year old who's like do you think I should go back and get an MBA how'd you decide to do it?
1: I think you should do it if you don't know what you want to do with your career and if you get into a really good school, those are the, yeah. Are the
0: Where else schools. did you, I mean, how did you, I guess not like, how did you get in, but kind of like, did you know that you would get in? It's such a, an incredible opportunity for some reason, specifically HBS, because I've met so many people who have gone there and they're all, I'm not saying they're not the smartest one in the room, but they're not nerdy. They're they're They seem to have really strong executive functioning skills and really strong, um, they just seem to be kind of all around athletes. I don't know how else to put it.
1: Well, I would say uh, the way that the, the way that the classes work, you, you really have to, you know, you have to be willing and ready to speak in front of 90 really accomplished people. And so doing that all day for a couple of years, definitely helps you develop polish and confidence Mm. and ability to speak. But I would say like, um, you know, you, you want to make sure you don't know what you want to do. And, and then you want to make sure you get into a really good school, the flip side and the, and some that, they don't really tell you. And what I do tell people that ask me that are silly enough to ask me for advice about MBA stuff is I will tell them, I mean, you, you will compare yourself against these kids for the rest of your life. Just like you do with your college friends. Just like you do with your high school friends, just like you do with your grade school friends you will find yourself comparing yourself to your classmates when you go back to reunions when you go back all these things and that's not always easy i mean when you are uh you know when you're comparing yourself to these world-class kids who are starting public companies and working at hedge funds making you know 10 plus million a year um you know it's it's hard it can be humbling yeah it's very humbling and so and, and the other thing is like, uh, they at least at HBS, they throw 15 things at you and they know that you can only digest nine. So you have to discriminate and choose, okay, which of these, these 15 things am I going to do today? And which six am I not going to do? And it's sort of, it just like my life sped up um, after business school and it really has never been the same. Interesting. And I, I'm not necessarily sure that one path is better or worse, but it just it's a different path. Like you, mm-hmm. you, you become motivated and driven and sort of armed to just accomplish a lot more. And it just speeds things up a little bit. So yeah, I think, I think there are a lot of pros and cons. And I, often with decision making at, at the company, I'll I'll think about how like, there actually isn't a right or a wrong decision here, or even with relationships with anything. It's like, this this isn't right or wrong it's just different it's like yeah sometimes you just need to make a decision and any decision is the right decision as long right. as you as long as you understand what that outcome is and and you're 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 comfortable with it in terms of getting mm-hmm. in in terms of getting into business school um yeah you just ha- i think you have to get you have to have right away with test scores and gpa there's a maybe pile and a no pile and you have, yeah, you have to get into the maybe pile first, which means you have to have a certain test score slash GPA. And then once you're in the maybe pile, then you have to have really good essays and then all the other richness of the application matters. So that's right. sort of how I approached it was study hard for the test and and um, get a good number there. And then once you do that, okay, now you need to focus on on essays and that sort of thing. But but yeah, it's a lot. It's hard for kids that are working and, and doing a lot. It's it's a, It's a lot to A lot to do. And so what
0: do you think prepared you best to start Tread? Like, how did you come up with the idea to begin with?
1: Well, so uh, the honest truth is I went, so I wanted to do corporate private equity and I couldn't make that switch because my excuse will be that, you know, it was graduated in 09, which is during the meltdown. And so I kind of went back to what I knew, which was real estate private equity and did it in New York. And, um, was working with the group that had purchased the Lehman Brothers real estate, uh, private equity team. It was called Pacific Coast Capital Partners, which is that they've done really well. Um, was working for them and I watched two of my section mates start, uh, rent the runner, rent the runway and tough mutter. Oh. And, and what's
0: the second one? You said rent the runway and what?
1: Uh, tough mutter.
0: Oh gosh. Wow. Well,
1: and both of those companies had, um, had grown like crazy and looked like a lot of fun consumer brands. And, and so, um, so basically I just was like, well, if they can do it, I can do it. I'm as smart as they are, you know, screw it. I'm going to go for it. So I had worked at uh, BMW Seattle during the summer when I was in high school and college as like a Porter and a parts guy and a sales guy. And, um, and so I liked the car space and I had this idea, which was totally wrong and backwards, but pitched it to Rick Wagner, who was at the time was the, or I think he had just had been fired by Barack Obama actually. Um, but he, at the time when I met him, he was the CEO of General Motors and uh, he invested in me. He said, okay, here's $50,000. And I was like, holy crap, I'm gonna quit my job. This is, this is all the money I need to get to profitability. So I quit my job in New York. And
0: what was the idea to begin with?
1: It was a, a platform. So if you imagine like a, like a BMW website or a Mercedes website or a Ford website where you can actually look at the cars on the manufacturer website and configure them. The idea was to create a configurator that worked across all brands and then to like show Yelp style feature information as people are configuring so they can get feedback on what they do or don't want on the car and then to have the consumer custom order the vehicle, and have it delivered to them um, as it was being, you know, built custom for them. So basically I wanted to turn the, the retail car industry into a pull industry, uh, which, you know, today it's a push industry where the manufacturers push inventory out to stores and it sits at the store and then it gets purchased eventually. Um, but uh, there's a litany of reasons that, that the industry is a push industry. Yeah. Uh, the fixed cost manufacturing, the, the on and on and on.
0: And what, what was the business model going to be at, the,
1: at that time? Uh, well, creating a website and then basically making a fee per, on, on all the sales for the vehicles. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. so that turned into, uh, got us into Techstars. So I, I, fa- I was able to find a co-founding CEO finally, a CTO, excuse me. And uh, we moved, we got into Techstars Boston and Seattle. And we was like, well, if we go to Boston, we'll keep our girlfriends. And if we go to Seattle, we'll have free rent. Mm-hmm. So we actually chose the free rent and we went to Seattle, which was obviously where I was from also, which was serendipitous. And we did the program in Seattle and, and realized that did a lot of research and we pivoted into a, a model where consumers could, could order a, a car to be test driven at their house.
0: Yeah. And so what's the business model today? What exactly is Tread?
1: So what we realized in the process of delivering all these test drives was that people, they loved the experience of not having to go to the dealer for a test drive, but people had vehicles to sell. It's okay. Well, this is great. I want the MDX, not the Grand Cherokee, but how do I sell my three series wagon? And we'd say, well, go to the dealer and they'll they'll buy it from you. And they said, well, I tried that and it's worth 10, but they offered me two. And so we just kind of went, oh crap. So we started offering like valuation guidance, which kind of worked, but kind of didn't because it, it kind of validated how crappy the dealer offer was. Um, So we finally said, okay, fine. Well, if if the dealer doesn't offer you at least 8,000, we will buy the car from you for 8,000. And we expected to have to buy very few cars, but we turned around and we were purchasing a lot of them. Um, And we had them parked at like our girlfriend's houses and parents' houses. And, but we realized we were making a lot of money doing it. So That was kind of the beginnings of realizing that people need help selling their vehicles. So Tred is a peer-to-peer used car marketplace that basically combines the advantages of transacting with the dealership, which is the assurance and the fraud protection and all that and the payment conveniences with the advantage of transacting on the private market, like Craigslist, which is the value that you get. So basically we help consumers directly get together and save thousands of dollars on either side of the transaction by not working with any infrastructure or dealership. But we also then provide payment options and take care of all the collection and remittance of tax, and licensing, the transfer of title and registration, all that's taken care of so that the consumer doesn't have to enter the DMV, and doesn't have to go to a dealership. Then you just kind of, the buyer can drive off into the sunset, the seller gets paid and kind of goes home. Um, so in a nutshell, like that's what we've developed.
0: Yeah. When, when did you first have your aha moment of like, okay, we're onto something. This is a great, this is, this is the problem that we need to be solving. Um, was there a, some sort of indication?
1: Yeah, I think, um, well, that first month that we were buying cars, we, when we resold them with just a couple of photos on Craigslist post, we made more money. Yeah. Um so like that was that was part of it and then also like hearing consumers say like oh my god thank you i uh, the dealer offered me 8000 for this car and i just sold it for 145 on your website and i can't tell you how much i appreciate that. Um you know like when i first started i will be honest like when i first started the company i uh i was absolutely driven by money and getting rich and yeah, I still want to make money and get rich. It sounds awesome. But like, it really is an incredible experience to build a I mean, the most rewarding thing is honestly, the people like it's I've realized more and more that with work and in life. It's not really about what you're doing or where you are nearly as much as like who you're with. Mm -hmm. And so like building our team has been Extremely rewarding having customers like you know tell us, oh my gosh, thank you, right? Is also extremely rewarding. Um, oh, I'm
0: sure. So, you got that 50,000 to begin with, and, and where are you now? How has the fundraising process been for you, and what are you doing with the funds?
1: Well, we were, we were pretty bootstrapped for a long time, and we recapped. I mean, we, we those pivots were not easy to survive financially because um, we went through two of them. Uh and you know, today we are um, you know, we've approached profit it's a pretty cyclical business for us. You know, we tend to have more growth in the summer months and the winter months. Um, we have a lot of partnership growth that we we you know develop as well. Um, but generally speaking, like we've we've not lost very we've been pretty close to profitability for a long time. So that's helped. Uh, give confidence to other investors that see the growth in the, in the P2P market. I mean, at a high level, what we believe is the, you know, the, the, the used car world is <clears throat> call it, call it 40 million transactions a year. Um, the Craigslist, the, the P2P portion of that is maybe a third of that number, but we believe that that percentage will grow enormously as people realize there's an easier way to, Buy or sell a car yourself, mm-hmm. um, and the reason that they will be motivated to do it the way that we do it is that you save thousands and thousands. It's not like you save a few hundred dollars; you save right. like
0: thousands, and it's that's a game changer for people.
1: And so we think the frequency of transactions will will really increase uh, because right now the the cadence, the ownership cadence for a house is about the same as for a car, which just seems backwards because like moving. House to house is a much bigger like schlep than, than like a car. Or it should be. Um, so we think that like just even increasing the frequency of transacting with these P2P people from 10 years down to five or six years, that will also increase the market size.
0: Mm. How do they find out about Tread? We,
1: we do, we don't do a ton of consumer marketing. Um, we, uh, we do some AdWords, you know, on the supply side, we, we market to sellers who, who want to sell their car on Google um, we do a little bit of, uh, social media and, and, public relations efforts, um, on the demand side, on the buyer side, we market on all the, all the listing sites, like, you know, auto trader, et cetera. Um, we are running a test in one market right now where we're doing uh, some billboard and radio to see how that goes. Um, and if that works well, we might expand that to more markets nationally. Um, and then partnership is a huge source of growth. So we work on, uh, you know, acquiring sellers from other websites where we can help them monetize the seller. So uh, those, okay. are the, those are the primary ways we grow right now. But there's no question it's challenging to, to grow a brand in the consumer auto space. It's very expensive and takes a long time. So it's Oh, yeah. Way.
0: And how has this, um, the pandemic been for your business? I mean, how did that impact <laughs> the supply chain in every category and just car, everything's all kind of on its head right now?
1: Pros and cons, I mean, the it definitely has been a, a help, a real uh, tailwind initially, because in, I guess it was March and April of 20, when things were really starting to hit the fan, I think there was a real push for people to not have to go to public spaces and we helped them avoid the dealer and the DMV. Um, and so I think that really helped us grow. People were looking for alternative ways to transact vehicles online. Um, and it's been a little more challenging, I'd say, of late just because there's so much competition for private supply now uh, because, you know, dealers aren't getting new cars at the same rates. So uh, everything's a little bit out of whack in terms of the mm. level of competitiveness uh, for, for used vehicles. Um, so that's been a little challenging, but I would say for the most part, it's been a real net positive for us. And we're very that's fortunate. Awesome. We're very fortunate right? because like we weren't, we weren't predicting a pandemic. Um, so it, it's, we, acknowledge that we've been, you know, we've been pretty well. Yeah.
0: yeah. And you've raised how much so far and, and what round are you in right now?
1: Uh, well, we just, we just closed a series B, uh, late last year for a $25 million investment. So that was the most recent round. Um, and, and
0: how has that process been for you fundraising? I mean, obviously you did it, uh, via zoom, I'm
1: guessing, <laughs> Yeah, um, for the most part, it was it was done via Zoom. Yeah, and very challenging. I mean, it, it took it took a long time. A lot of a lot of processes. Um, you know, had to had the stars had to align and had to find. I mean, uh, we had a couple of different offers over the months before then, and um, that just weren't quite right for a number of different reasons in terms mm-hmm. of the the motivations of the people that were behind them and, and the control they were asking for, et cetera. So, yeah. or their ability to maybe block other potential partners that were important to us or acquirers. So we had to find the right group that, you know, really we felt like had a nice alignment of capabilities where they could do things we couldn't do. And there was also no, no direct competitive threat to any other potential acquirers or partners of ours.
0: Yeah, I think it's a really important point. And a lot of entrepreneurs aren't even thinking about it. They're just like, oh, money. And it, it's like, not all money is created equal. Yeah, so no, who, did you, who did you end up going with? And, um, and also very impressive um, group, of, you know, your advisory and board. How do you choose those people to align yourself with?
1: Well, um, I do think it kind of getting back to what I was saying earlier, like who you're with is more important than what you're doing or where you are uh, you, you do want to, I, I definitely would recommend optimizing for, you know, who the investor is over how much or what the terms are, uh, you know, it's, um, just, there are so many, uh, there are so many challenges. You just don't need to have to be fighting your own investors. Um, yeah. You know, and so I think I, I we've had all kinds of boards. I've had all kinds of boards, but I would say like a bad board, tells you the wrong thing to do a good board tells you the right thing to do and a great board asks asks questions that help you realize for yourself what the right thing to do is and like that's what you want you want yeah. you want a great board you want people that can add value and in terms of how to find them or get them you just got to do the work of knowing what it is you need and and making the right call on who you're bringing on board, just like you would with any other relationship and and getting references and looking at their backgrounds. And, um, and so our board today, I'm very, both of our board members with me are, they're very good friends. So we're, I couldn't be in a better place from a governance standpoint today, which is great.
0: That's awesome. Where are you trying to take the business? Like what are your kind of short-term and long-term goals? Well, we
1: want to geographically, we want to be national as quickly as we can. We expect to accomplish that this year. Um, we are certainly growing our own brand, investing in growing our own brand, but we're also increasingly interested in pursuing partnerships. So, um, you know, and then the last thing I would say is like developing the product. There's a lot we want to accomplish, particularly with our mobile apps that we have not yet, uh, developed that we're working towards. So, yeah, well,
0: it's it's been awesome. Awesome. Awesome to watch your success and your growth. And I wish you the, the best, um, my final question for you is what fuels you? What's your ultimate fuel?
1: Um, I think like for me, I would say like life, I think of life as a, like a fight that you fight out of love. That's, and so um, I think a lot of people, some people don't fight. They're not fighters and some people do. And some people fight with other things. But I think as long as you're fighting for uh you know, things that are healthy. That's kinda how that's how I think you, you 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 do better. Um and so I would say that I'm fueled to like I'm motivated by a sense of achieving things and, and doing it from a from a good place.
0: Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast@fueltalent.com at to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.